Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, Joe McCall here, Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Glad you're back. This is going to be another great episode. Listen, every time I talk to somebody about land investing, I get so excited. These are my favorite podcasts. And, you know, I've been doing this podcast now for over 10, 10 years. We have over 11 or 12 million downloads. I looked at my stats the other day in the last, in just in the last 30 days, guys, I've had, we have had listeners in over 58 or 60 countries listening in. I look at all of my stats and we've had listeners in over 180 different countries listen to this podcast. So it blows me away. We're over almost 1100 episodes now. Come on. What's going on? I love doing this podcast. Been doing it a long time and I really get excited talking about land investing. It's something that I'm doing uh, more and more over the last three or four years. My sons, I've talked about this a lot. They've been doing it kind of part, part, part time, like very part time. and. Um, They've done like 20 something deals. Um, and I won't talk about the exact numbers yet because I'm not, I'm trying to pull in all the numbers, but it's over 150 grand. And um, that's not all gone to them. But uh, we've just been buying land and selling it for cash. And one of the things that I'm going to be doing going forward in 2022 and beyond is doing more land investing for myself in my IRA for me and my wife doing and, but selling them on terms, selling them on owner financing. And so we've got a guest today, Clint Turner from learn.land. And we're going to be talking about selling land on owner financing terms mainly. And he's getting over 50 grand a month right now in passive recurring income from vacant land notes. And so just like you've heard me talk about, he's buying land at 25 cents on the dollar, selling it on owner financing. He's doing bigger and bigger deals now, but we're going to talk about how Clint got started and how you can get started as well. So it's going to be a great episode. I'm looking forward to it. And again, if you want more information, we'll bring Clint on here in a minute. Um, But his website is learn.land. And he's also got a great Facebook group. His Facebook group is called Learn Land University. So if you just go to Facebook, join his group. It's free, I believe. I hope hope it's free. We'll find out when I bring him on. (laughs) Uh, But Learn Land University. Uh, He's a cool guy. And you'll be hearing more about me. We're coming up here in a couple of weeks. I'm doing a challenge. It's called a New Year, New Market, New You Challenge. And if you go to uh, newmarketchallenge.com, do I have that up here? I'm going to put this on the link. Boom. Newmarketchallenge.com. I think in two weeks from now, as I'm recording this, January 24th or something, we're going to be doing a live three-day challenge. And I'm going to be showing you what I would be doing if I lost it all and I had to go into a brand new market and start all over from scratch. If I had to start all over, what would I do? And you know what? I'm going to do land. My coaching business partner, Gavin, is going to be doing houses. We're going to be documenting in this challenge what we would do. And how we pick a new market, how we get the marketing, how we get the leads, and we're going to document all of the steps for that. I was just in a mastermind yesterday, a good friend of mine, Tim Mai, and I'm going to get him on a, a podcast here as well. He's been doing vacant land with his sons. They're killing it right now, and they're doing vacant infill lots. So in, in Houston, he's going after lots that are vacant in the city and selling them to builders, doing really well with that. And he's starting to do this now in other cities in Texas. Texas is growing like crazy. The great thing about land is you can do this from virtually anywhere in the world, anywhere in the United States, right? So 
a lot of cool stuff. But in the newmarketchallenge.com, it's completely free. Go there and sign up. And if you're watching this or listening to this after it's done, you can probably get the recordings or something like that there. But we're going to be doing this live. It's free. It's leading up. We're going to be doing a two-day boot camp coming up in February, early February, all-day, two-day boot camp, virtual, where we're going to be teaching this stuff deeper in a deep dive. And if you buy tickets to the boot camp, in between the free challenge and the boot camp, we're going to be doing, we're going to be documenting for two weeks exactly what we're doing every day. Gavin's going to do a 10, 15 minute video. I'm going to do a 10, 15 minute video every single day during that two weeks as we go into some new markets. I'm going to be helping my mom do this in California. I'm going to be helping a friend of mine in Florida do this as well. It's just, I, I'm so excited about this coming year. I'm looking at Clinton. He's like, hey, Joe, I'm over here. Don't forget me. So I'm going to bring him on right now. You guys ready? Clint Turner in the house. Clint, how are you, my man? Howdy. And it is free, Joe. It is free. Okay, good. <laughs> go to learn, go to Facebook, do a search for Learn Land University. Um, it's a great little group. I've been, you had a great post today about how you lost $200,000. <laughs> Part of that was, you know, a quarter of that was your own cost, but the other three quarters was opportunity cost on a deal you lost because you hired the wrong person. So a lot of good stuff in that group. So Clint, let's uh, give us a little bit background of you and how'd you get started into real estate. Well, first, Joe, thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. I've been following yeah. you for a while. I wish I'd listened to more podcasts. I didn't realize you've been doing this for 10 years. So congratulations. Oh, almost 11. Almost 11. 11 years ago, I was uh, starting my junior year of high school. So, <laughs> uh, so awesome. what, what to be it around then. But no, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, man, I am uh, 27 years old. I live here in Austin, Texas. Grew up in Texas. Been here for a while. Uh, I kind of took the normal path, went to college, uh, got an engineering degree because that's what everyone said to do <laughs> when I was graduating high what, school. What, what degree again? Uh, I got a mechanical engineering degree. Cool. I was civil engineer. Okay. I was two classes away from an aerospace degree, but they said I would have had to stay an entire year to get those. And oh, I wow. said, no, we're not, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Uh, but I started there. I went directly into engineering sales. I worked there for uh, five years about in different companies, different positions. And, and I just wasn't, wasn't, <laughs> wasn't cut out for the W2. And, you know, I stumbled across, you know, I've done a lot of different businesses. I don't know if we cover them all on this podcast. I've been doing ATMs, done houses, I've done all sorts of things, but land was the first area I made a lot of money in. And so it just kind of stuck and I've been doing land investing ever since. Huh. Now it's been five, six years since you started doing land. Yeah. I've been doing it for about six years. So you were in your early 20s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Come on. All right. Love it. <laughs> and so what, what attracted you to land instead of houses or any other kind of real estate? Well, a botched house flip didn't, didn't help too much. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily botched. I, we got out of it just fine. But it was a lot of time and energy for just a very small check at the end. I was also placing ATMs in different places around Austin, which was... It was cool, but it was like time intensive and yeah. I don't think ATMs are necessarily the future. So it was hard to get super excited. You know, I stumbled across, I think it was just luck or whatever has it, something like this where people were talking about land and owner financing and, you know, how you can make money with land basically virtually anywhere. Uh, I've been, you know, I've done almost, I think about over 600 deals now. I haven't counted it up recently, but I've only stepped on five or six of them really. So it was cool. It got me into it. I dove in, I started making money. And then that's really what I've been focusing on ever since. All right. So you've done, I'm, I'm going to open up my notes here. You've done over 600 vacant land deals. Correct. Some very small, <laughs> a lot of them very small, but in quantity, yes. 
All right. So, and talk about that. Like a lot of people start off with small lots and then get into bigger and bigger ones, right? Is that what your kind of path was? Absolutely. So, um, I started out doing these, I, I call them desert squares. <laughs> so you find them in Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, places like that. And I just remember I was doing this as kind of a side hustle at the time. It definitely wasn't a focus. And I just went through the motions uh, with the program that I was in. And I bought a property out in the middle of Colorado. I think it was for $900 or something like that. Five acre plot, middle of nowhere, no electricity, no water, nothing like that. I listed it on Facebook. And in two weeks, I sold it for $1,500 down. So I got all my money back. And then I was getting $175 a month for four years. And when it comes to passive income, right, that's the buzzwords. I don't, I don't believe in passive income, but the buzzwords, right? You're like, oh, I got all my money back. I still own the asset. I have legal title to it. So if anything goes wrong, I can hold on to it. And I'm getting pretty hands-free cash flow. So it kind of sparked in my mind. I was like, that's the most money I think I've made in any short period of time. Uh, and it got me really excited. And so I dove in and yeah. So I want to I want to ask about some details in a minute here of how you find the land and how you buy it. But like, what percent of your deals do you sell on owner financing? Um, and now you're getting into bigger deals and some a little bit of development and stuff like that. But let's let's not talk about that now, but just your normal regular land flips. About what percent of them do you flip for cash and what percent do you flip for payments? Yeah, this is a real personal, like this is a personal preference. So I talk with a lot of different investors. I love the cash flow of vacant land. How I kind of tell people this is, you know, land notes, the passive income you get from them, I think of them as a crazy high yielding savings account, right? You put your money in Bank of America savings, you're going to get a 10th of a percent or whatever it is. You put your money into land and you look at the APY, you look at the return you know, we often make our target is 70%, but that can fluctuate between 50 and 150%. So I just got really excited about, man, I can invest my money because when you start understanding how money capitalizes and how investing in high percents are good for you, it's like, man, I can just take money I'm making and pour it back into these really high yield investments and land notes. And so some people like cash, right? Some people just stick with that because it's that quick hit. But you often, A, your, your money's preserved because it's in an asset and it's growing. And, and B, you get the cash flow because the easiest cash flow in the world is when somebody owes you money on a land contract and they can't build on the land, right? There's not a whole lot that can go wrong. I got a few stories we can always share, but for the most part, 98% of the time, it just sits there, it behaves, it's easy. And so the land notes to me are very passive. Yeah, you don't realize all the money up front, but it's a very stable foundation for you to build more real estate businesses, you know, other online businesses, what has it. And, you know, through COVID, we saw a shift. I, I used to sell about 70% of my stuff on financing terms. That almost flipped. It's closer to 30 or 40% these days. We generally offer financing terms on any property, but it's just dependent on the, you know, on the specific property, what the numbers look like. So it's kind of flipped a bit, but yeah, if, you know, 50-50 is a, good, is a good guess. Well, let's give an example deal in an example county, a typical deal for you. What does that look like? That's, that's owner financing, let's say. Yeah, sure. So we just sold one this morning. It's in Cochise County, Arizona. It's like far, far southeastern Arizona, basically. 40-acre property, pretty nice, dirt roads, uh, has power, has decent water in the area uh, that you can uh, point to, because that's a question a lot of people have, can I get water? Uh, so a decent deal. We bought that one for, I think, $12,000. And we sold that one for $9,000 down and I'm trying to remember the numbers. I think it was 450 bucks a month for seven years is what that looked like. 
So what's the sale price or the final purchase price of that land? I don't have it in front of me, but uh, normally it's going to, like how I explain to my team is, right, so if we bought that property for 12000 bucks, right, and we got 9000 back on the down payment, we need to get, so, so there's a $3,000 delta there, right? We need to point, do our best to get 100% return. So within the first year, we want to get all that money back. I generally don't care specifically. I mean, obviously, we want to sell things for as high, you know, <laughs> as high of a profit as we can. But at the end of the day, for me, capital recoup is a big is a big point whenever you're doing land at scale. So, for example, we have three thousand dollars of delta there where we're in the hole, quote unquote, right now. And if we're getting four fifty a month, we'll get that back in like nine months. We'll be even. And then for the rest of the six and a quarter years, we'll have that hands free cash flow. So if I were to plug it in, it's you know four fifty times twelve times seven thirty seven. So it's about forty six thousand dollars at the end of the day. So let's look at that. I'm going to open up my calculator. You you bought this deal for twelve grand. You're making four fifty a month for twelve months. So I do four fifty times twelve. That's for seven years. Seven years. Let's just say for the first year. Mm-hmm. So you have you're getting fifty four hundred dollars a year in income from that divided by the twelve thousand that you put into the deal. That's 45% return on your cash that first year. Well, if you take out the nine, so we got $9,000 down. Oh, oh, oh. yeah, so that's right. So our present value lost is 3,000 bucks. So So your your cash out of pocket is three grand. So you take three grand divided by 5,400. No, no, no. Yep. 5,400. Sorry, I'm doing my calculator here. (laughs) Three grand. Your cash on cash return is 180%. Somewhere in there. So if we had 3,000 and we divided it up by 5,400 or what you said backwards. Yeah, somewhere in there. So that's why I point my team to those easy like back of the hand metrics. Like if we can get our money back in less than a year, yeah, that normally means we're over 70%, which is our target. Okay, that um, beats money markets. Oh, yeah. Be- <laughs> or stock markets. Right? Yeah, right. Um, it beats all of that. And you can do land deals in, in IRAs too, right? For the tax protection. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And then somebody's going to ask, well, what about the installment sale? I mean, let's say you're selling that lot for 40 grand or 30 grand when you, if the purchase price is 30 grand, but it's an installment sale. So it's over seven years. How does that work with taxes? Do you have to pay the gain of, you know, the 30 grand difference now? Or can you, can that wait until financing is done? Yeah. So there's a nice little point in the tax code that points directly to vacant land. You can't do this with houses, but you can do it with vacant land that allows you to apply the installment sale method. So really you only, just to put it simple, you pay tax on the net profit at yes. for where you are. So right. I'll pay tax on the $3,000 or whatever we make on it this year. And then for the rest of the time, you know, we make that 5,400 a year, we'll pay the tax as it rolls in. But no, yeah, we use the installment sale method. And so it, you know, it stretches it out. So, I mean, even if you've got zero down payment on this deal, you're making 45% on your money with the payments over time. And with vacant land, you don't have to worry about repairs, maintenance, property management. Vac- you know, well, obviously, vacancies, like if they stop paying. So, you know, a lot of people are thinking, okay, this sounds too good to be true. What's the worst case scenario on an owner financing deal? Oh, you know, the worst case scenario is when somebody stops paying and sits on the lot and won't leave, right? Just to be logical, that can happen. I've seen it happen. It's happened to me. It's happened to clients. I would say it happens at about a 1% to 2% rate, probably, 
you know, honestly, Joe, probably less than that. But less than one percent of the deal. Let's call it one percent. Yeah. Okay. Let's call it one percent. So, let's just talk about the worst worst case scenario, right? If this deal that we just talked about defaulted on month two, okay. Well, I sell a lot of my stuff on a land contract, so that means at the end of the day, I still hold the title. Whereas a lot of other asset classes, and there's some states where you can't do this, so this is all you know jurisdictionally specific, if you will. But I sell on land contract as much as I can because I hold title. And at the end of the day, it's a contract. So yep. if the buyer defaults on the contract, they lose their interest and the property, I mean, I would say goes back to me, but it's still in my legal name, right? Right. So let's say on this deal, worst case scenario, somebody paid the nine grand, okay? They've made two months of payments. So they're in it for 10 and they're like, oh, we don't want it or we're not going to pay anymore or whatever. Well, in a good worst case scenario, well, I'll just take that lot back. I have $10,000 less on my cost basis. So I pretty much have it for free and I'll go resell it. But now the worst, worst case scenario is that person builds an, un- <laughs> an unpermitted house, dumps, oh, you know, hazardous waste, whatever you want to say. You could come up with a ton of, you know, sure. a, ton of, a ton of issues. Uh, at the end of the day, your risk is still minimal because if that happens, right? What's my upside? $30,000. What's my downside? Well, do I want to deal with all this permitting? I'm going to start getting calls from the county, going to start getting calls from the state. At the end of the day, I put in my contracts that I can just deed the property to them at any point. And so if that were the case, and the, it just got so unbearable, I would either try and work out a cash for key situation where I'm like, hey, I don't want to deal with this. Take this, pay me $3,000 more and you can just have this property. You got me, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And then I just basically cut even, or I just deed it to them and take a small loss, right? So your risk is pretty minimal at the end of the day, if you do your finances right and you get a bunch back up front, right? But, but you again, this, I want to clarify, this is so rare. Yeah. Anything like this happens. It's very clear in the contract. They can't move or live on the property or build anything until it's completely paid off. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we got stories. <laughs> People have done things we didn't want to. But at the end of the day, I say this, I've lost money in a lot of other places. I've never really lost money on a land deal. I broke even. I've made a little bit of money. But at the end of the day, land just, if you do it right, that is right. There's a lot of ways to do it wrong. But if you do it right, you generally can't lose money. So if a normal, on a normal land deal, if the buyer stops making payments, but they're not on it, which is most of the time, you just, you don't have to foreclose on them, right? You, you still own the title. They don't get the title until the loan is paid off. You just re-advertise it and get somebody else to start making payments. Exactly. And the cool thing about this too is you're not, you're not borrowing any money to buy this land typically, unless you have a private investor, but then even still, your payments are super small. Mm-hmm. But you're not, it's not like you have a, uh, a mortgage on this vacant lot that you're making these payments for. Um, it's much easier and you have more time on your hands to get a new buyer. Yeah. I mean, you're buying it at, you know, 30, 40, 50 cents on the dollar normally. So that's what allows you to come in with that. You'd be the bank. And what not a lot of people understand why this works. Because again, half your listeners will be like, this just doesn't make sense. This is what normally clicks for people is when I tell them like, you can't go to the bank and get a loan for that deal. So there's a ton of people that want land, but unless you are going coming out right now and you're going to get a construction loan, a new development loan, all that kind of stuff, the bank's not going to wrap up financing for just a vacant piece of land. Maybe when you start getting into the three, four, five hundred thousand dollar lots and you have a personal net worth that will allow that to happen, that could change. But 90% of the time, the banks don't play. They don't come in here. And so that's what allows this opportunity is that I can buy, it makes it harder to sell. So that's why I can go to sellers and buy at a discount. And then I play the bank, 
right? And we all know the bank never loses. <laughs> so yeah, when yeah. you can come in the middle and play the bank, that's that's why it works so well. I love it. Uh, David brings up a real good question here. It's kind of related. Have you ever actually gone to the seller and owner finance the land from the seller? Yes. And then create a wrap around to sell to the end buyer. You have done that. Yeah, we do this. Uh, we also do this when we do subdivides. So those properties are generally more expensive. So we'll put into our land contracts, basically whenever we do this, that, hey, we are going to pay you the seller financing. It's going to be just to say 25% down and then term over four years, something like that. And then we put a clause in there that says, I can sell off pieces of your land during that contract period. And whatever the percentage I sell off, I owe you that right there, that whatever's left of the note, right? Yeah. So we do that a lot with larger deals. And really, I mean, we always, like my acquisitions people, we always ask about seller financing. Really? Because it's best for us, right? At the end of the day, we're just, like you said, wrapping money around each other. So we do it a lot with the market these days. It's become a lot, the market's just tough. So less people are interested in that because money's so cheap. But no, yeah, we definitely do that. Do you ever give sellers the option? I'll pay you cash for this and I'll pay you a little mm-hmm. more if you do owner financing. Do you ever I just, do that? Yeah, I just did that yesterday. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. Yep. So let's let's talk about an example deal for that, if you wouldn't mind. It's yeah. 10 acres. It's worth 40 grand. What would you... Let me just give you real on? numbers. I just pulled this up here. Yeah, yeah. So this was a deal we were looking at in West Texas. We offered them $58,000 cash, uh, or we said that we'd give them $75,000 financed with 30% down and then the balance over four years at 6%. And the reason we made that offer is because that one just had some specifics where had a couple features that made it less desirable than the others in the area. So when we see that, it's often a time where, hey, if we can get a big cash discount, we'll do it. A good price to buy it at is that seventy-five, eighty thousand. But I said, hey, you know, it's got this, it's got this water issue, so it doesn't make me want to sink my money into it. So we could do that full price you want, like this in this structure. And so that's always a game of what the sellers want and negotiating and figuring that out. Yeah. But we almost always, if we can, you know, make that offer. But these days, people are just wanting cash, so it's been a little harder. Yeah. All right. So you know, people getting started may be a little intimidated with you know coming up with the cash of fifty or sixty grand to buy a property, but you encourage a lot of people to start at the smaller properties, right? You Now, you started off with a quarter acre, half acre lots in the middle of the desert, and then you kind of went up to bigger and bigger lots. But where do you recommend people to start today if, if there's somebody who's just getting started? Yeah, there's two factors that play in. One is your personal level of patience. If you want that quick dopamine hit, you want to start seeing success, small lots are the way to go because, you know, it's going to take less marketing. It's going to take less money. It's going to take less effort to get the deal going. Like a quarter then, acre, half acre lots? Is yeah, or some acres, like someplace that's five acres or 10 acres. It just kind of depends on the cut sizes. But there's so much data on like lands of America, uh, lands of Texas, Zillow, all the normal places. So you, you could go there. Those turn faster, right? A good deal bought in the right area with the right financing terms, we can turn in 30 days. So you do it and you get that level of success. So I do sometimes push people there because when you're just getting started, you want that proof of concept. You know what I mean? And yeah. so then you can get, but I also talk with a lot of people who are just farther along on their real estate journey and they just want to add land and they say, hey, I want to skip that level. <laughs> I just want to go do the bigger deals, right? So then there's kind of different levels I see there. I would point somebody towards like $100,000 properties in that range and just start look, you know, doing a lot of marketing. It just takes more effort, right? It takes more marketing spend, and then it takes more money to eventually do that deal. 
Yeah. A ton of different ways to structure that. But if you're just getting started, small lots are great. There's a big market for it. You can sell them like candy on Facebook, Facebook Marketplace. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy how quick you can sell a piece of land in the desert on Facebook for $1,000 down and $200 a month. Uh, We've been, me and my boys have been targeting two to 40 acres mm-hmm. in that price range. I typically found it too much of a hassle, too much work to do the under two acres. And for the same amount of work, I can buy a, a 10, 20 acre lot and make a lot more money with that. Yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. Okay. So um, you're, when you're making a cash offer on, let's say, a 10 to 20 acre lot, what percent of market value are you making that cash offer at? We have this big matrix that we work off of. I think less about acreage. I think more about price. 10 acres within 30 minutes of Austin is probably going to cost you $500,000, right? Yeah. 10 acres within 30 minutes of Trinidad, Colorado may cost you, you know, $100,000. So I just look at sales price. Generally speaking, there's always the diamond in the rough where you find somebody who's just super unattached and they have a really high price parcel. And then that's your perfect deal, right? Buy it cheap because they inherited it or whatever. But I would say the 90% case is that when you get into higher price stuff, people know what they have more. A piece of dirt in the middle of the desert is just generally less desirable, it's easy to understand than something that's say an hour within Austin or Dallas or you know, Nashville or wherever it is, right? Yeah. So I look at dollar amount and demand. So for example, let's say a property costs around $100,000 and it's in a high demand market. We're going to come in higher. I'm probably going to come in around 60% of market because 60. I know that I can buy it. Again, $100,000, buy for 60, sell for 100, do that pretty quick. Then boom, right? If it's a little farther out, it's a little lower priced. We'll come in at 30 or 40% normally and just start working from there. And our offer prices generally slide up the that larger price that parcel gets. And there's a lot of development type stuff you can talk about there. But for lack of better words, it's the more expensive it gets, the higher our offers, the higher percentage we normally go. So the more valuable it is, the higher percentage of it is. If it's in an area that's like two hours outside of Austin, you know, people go there to hunt, camp, more recreational use. It's not in the path of growth, you know, at least not for a hundred years or whatever. What about what percent of value are you making offers there? 25, 35% or more? Two hours. I mean, again, it's just so like you learn this by doing it. Yeah. Right. Every different area, people <laughs> like people just have different like tonalities. They have different desires. For example, if I'm looking for land in like West Texas or Southern Mississippi, like one of my Filipino VAs trying to work that deal becomes a lot harder because they want a good old Southern boy or Southern girl to deal with. Right. Sure. And so people just generally have different attachments to their land. Again, I just always go back to demand. How long am I going to hold this thing for? Right. If I can turn it quick and I can turn it in 30 days, you know, whatever, like I'll make 30 grand or 40 grand or 20 grand. But if I have a little more risk in my head of, I don't know if this sells in 30 days, I'm going to come in lower. Right. So let's say it's trading at $10,000 an acre in that area. I would probably come in around 50%. It's always a good starting point. 50%. Can't go wrong if you buy a 50% market value. Okay. Where do you like to get your lists? Pull your list from? Yeah, we, I'm pretty picky. So we use, you know, we like, for example, let's say we hit the same area over and over. I update that list every three months just because I want to have the most up-to-date data. I think that can change a lot of your results. So we use data tree. We have a process, we go through, we map, we price, and then we pull the data out of there, and then we convert it into mailing list and then text list, and then we work them from there. All right, so what kind of letters do you like to send or, or postcards? Are they um, 
blind offers or are they just, hey, do you want to sell your land? Call us. Yeah, I have. Uh, so there's a lot of different methodologies on this. People teach different tactics. One's called a blind offer, right? Where you send, hey, I will pay you $50,000 for this property. Just out the gate. I find that that creates, and people have different like opinions on this, but I find yeah, yeah. that creates a lot of operational strain to like properly price thousands and thousands and thousands of property on the front end. I think it just makes it hard. And to be honest, if you're trying to do that volume, you get it wrong most of the time. And so then you put yourself in a bad negotiating spot because they're like, well, I thought you, you said 50,000 and now it's 30, right? What changed? Mm-hmm. And it's hard to be like, oh, well, we were in the spreadsheets and we miscalculated it, da, 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 right? So I like to do a ranged offer. That's my favorite style. So for that $10,000 property, uh, sorry, $10,000 an acre property example we said a second ago, I would probably send them a letter and say, hey, we're buying land in your area for four to $6,000 an acre, right? Call me if you're interested. And then that gives us the freedom to kind of price and work it on our side and get an accurate offer to put in front of them versus having to backtrack and renegotiate. So I like that. When we're doing higher price stuff, we do a little more eye-catching letters. So we'll do eight and a half by 11s where they send like, you know, almost 80 cents, 90 cents a dollar a piece. We'll send handwritten letters. But for the masses, I normally do uh, uh, like a forgetting whatever whatever the standard white envelope is with a one-page letter in it that says we're paying this much per acre in your area call us if you're interested then it starts running through the funnel nice cool we only got a few more minutes here i want to keep on going but when you're when you're buying your land do you close them in-house do you use a title company when do you use a title company i personally as again operations get more complicated i've just done i do everything through title now Title insurance is a scam. Title companies are a scam. But at the end of the day, it makes it, you know, less operations on our side. You know, if you're getting started, you can, anything sub, let's say $15,000 is what I'll generally say. We'll just close in-house. But anything that's worth more than that, we just run it through title to get, you know, they'll do the work and they'll run the reports and they'll give us the, uh, they'll give us the commitments and such. So Cool. All right. So when you're selling properties, people are wondering, well, who's buying these properties? And let's, Let's stick with the, you know, under 40 acres, not in Austin. It was rural. Who buys those properties? I've had so many different buyers. It's blown. Like everyone asks this question, who's buying land out in the middle of nowhere, right? Well, when you start marketing, first, if you don't believe it, I just encourage you to go copy a listing from online, post it on Facebook Marketplace and see how many, <laughs> see how many messages you get. You'll quickly yeah. start to get a proof of concept. So, you know, you have people that just want to own land. They understand they don't have enough money to buy land that close to the city, the higher, the higher value stuff, yet they want to own property. So the trade-off is, well, I have to drive three hours instead of an hour, right? So you got those people. You got off-grid people. You got people who want to graze cattle. You got people who want to put horses out there, tiny homes, RVs, the adventurer, right? Like that kind of, that group of people. You know, this is absolutely no, like not trending anyway, but there's like in Texas, for example, South Texas, the Hispanic population buys a ton of land. It's like a dream of theirs to own land, right? It is kind of an American dream thing as well. So it kind of just depends on where you're at, but there's a ton of people out there that want to own property. But like I said, at first, they can't go get a loan for it and they can't afford something that close to Austin, for example. So then they'll look three hours away or four hours away where there's less demand Properties are less developed and then you can get them. Yeah, cheaper. So people are afraid like, man, what if I can't find a buyer on these deals? Like, what if I have a contract to buy it and I can't find a buyer? Am I stuck with the property? What do I do then? What do you say to them? 
you know, I say I've done 600 deals and they've all sold. <laughs> so <laughs> I've had some that have sat longer. I think my longest hold to date is somewhere around 200 days. So for doing it for six years, holding a property for seven months has been the worst case, right? And you're, you're probably asking too much for that house or that for that lot? Yeah, or just, you know, it slipped through. It was too, like sloping's a big problem sometimes. If you, you accidentally buy something that's like super side of the mountain, it takes yeah. a real specific buyer to buy that. Yeah, yeah. But even then, have sold that, sold that specific property to a contractor, excavator. He's like, no, I'll make it work. Don't worry. <laughs> like, nice. I don't know how you're building on a 40% slope, but whatever works for you. Do you ever wait to close on a deal from the seller be- until you find a buyer to, to buy it? Or do you always try to close pretty quickly? Yeah. So just personal preference. I just think there's a lot of sleazy tactics in the wholesaling market. So I use that as a selling point to, Hey, stop worrying about, I know this guy said he'll give you 65, but has he? Why is closing so far? Like we use that as a selling point because I've put the capital in place to turn, like to to turn the deals that we need to. So I prefer cash, but wholesaling works really well for infill lots because you find it like, Properties like infill lots are driven by how the housing market, the housing prices, and that's just so hot right now. You buy it, you can sell it within a few hours. It's just yep. the right list or just posting in a Facebook group or something. So those are easy to do ABC close. But when it's a little more rural, takes more views, takes more time. And I just, I've just seen it too many times, just creates a lot of like operational issues, creates a lot of, okay, 70 days have gone by. Now I got to call the seller again to like come to the closing table and now they don't want to. It's like, I just prefer if you can buy it cash by cash. Yeah. And if somebody doesn't have a lot of money, you know, maybe they have some money, they can buy the smaller lots, they can buy it for two, mm-hmm. three, five grand. But then, you know, now, now they've used up all of their money. They don't have any more money to buy any more land. What do they do then? My favorite saying is half a watermelon's better than a whole grape, you know? So- Call me, call Joe, post it in my Facebook group. Any deal where an investor can make a 40 to 50% return in a short period of time will never go unfunded, yeah. right? What's the saying? Uh, deals don't look for money, money looks for deals, right? So people are scared to step into the bigger stuff. And I say, hey, if you're doing a deal for three grand, you'll make you know six grand off it or whatever. That's fine. But you could also do a deal where you make 50 grand and you split it with me because I bring the capital to the table and we both make good money right? I bring Mm -hmm. 50 to the table. We sell it for a hundred. Clint gets a 50% return on his money in 90 days or less. And then you just made a 25, right? So that's a good way to get started. You build up capital there. There's always money out there, right? And it's, people just don't need to be afraid of it. Yeah. I mean, for like within my community, if you will, we have a guy and he manages about a $10 million fund and all it is is land. You bring an opportunity. If it hits those metrics, I just said it's, it's funded, right? So there's never, I've never seen an issue with funding deals. It's just a mindset block. Here's the cool thing about this too. If nobody will lend you money on the deal, it's not a good deal and you yes. shouldn't be buying it, right? Exactly. So this is a great way to find out pretty quickly whether you actually should be going forward with this deal or not. 100%. And then you can back out or ne- renegotiate a lower price. 100%. Awesome. I love it. Man, I wish we had more time. Um, <laughs> let's talk tools real quick. What are some of your favorite tools that you use for your land business? Trello, free and easy. You can set up a good workflow of new leads, prepping, negotiating, following up, that kind of stuff. So that's free, cheap to get started. Actually, we've used that for six years. I still run my business, like most of our intake workflow through there. MapRite is my favorite tool. Wish they'd give out affiliate links. They won't. So I can't, you know, <laughs> I can't do Map, anything. What with does MapRite do? Explain that. MapRite is, if you've ever gone to a county system and looked at their GIS or their database or whatever, it's just a collective of those. So I can go to 
Cochran County, Texas, or I can go to Cochise County, Arizona, all in the same system. And I can evaluate all those touch points. I said, wetlands, floodplains, access, water wells, all the things. They have a bunch of tools in there. Sloping is a big one. You can look at all the topo maps in there. So it makes it easy instead of having to learn a bunch of different systems, just to learn one system to evaluate your deals. Nice. And you can also embed the map of the property on your website. Yep. And then your customers, your buyers can... Zoom in, zoom out, make it full screen, dive deeper into the You can the draw on there and add little, here's a barn, here's a little roadway or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay, what else? Do websites? Websites, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was reading a discussion the other day on Facebook where there was a debate on, do you need a website or not to sell land? And yeah, now I, people want to make that a, oh, I got to build my website first. All my biggest deals have never hit my website because they go list with a realtor or they go to the MLS or whatever. Websites are great for small deals because realtors normally won't sell them for you. So website's not that important. Punchline. For data, we love DataTree, like I said. Uh, they're, they're pretty good for land. Who do you use for mail? I use a company called Rocket Print and Mail. They also go by Postcard Mania. Um, and we have a great deal set up with them. If you're looking for larger volume campaigns, 5, 10, 15,000 more, uh, we can send mail. The, the kind I told you about for like 45 to 50 cents a letter generally. Yeah, do not go directly to their website. Use Clint's link. And um, do you have that link in your Facebook group? Or? Yeah, come find me somewhere. I'll send you to it. We have a rep inside there and she'll she'll hook you up with all the nice. stuff we have. Let's see what else. Uh, oh, notes, servicing notes. What do you guys use for that? And maybe you don't want to talk about that because uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're creating a tool right now yourself, aren't you? Yeah, so we are. You know, note servicing becomes more and more uh, workload heavy as you scale, right? We have a few hundred notes right now. So yeah, we get a few defaults a month. We get missed payments. We get all that stuff. There's good tools out there. There really are. Uh, the, t- the tool I currently use is great. I just wanted something more robust. So we're building one in-house. There's a lot of places you can go that will just service your notes for 10 or 15 bucks a month. I tell people to do that at the start. Like, Don't worry about setting up payment accounts and all this compliance stuff you need to process your own payments. Just the first three to five, just do it with a note company. And then the rest of them, you can just migrate them off that platform later when you're ready to tackle that. But there's enough out the gate to deal with. Just set it up with a servicing company. When when will yours be done and ready? Oh, Joe, I wish I knew. (laughs) Software is a fun world. There's always new issues. We're we're hoping to bring the beta uh, Q2 this year. All right, fair enough. Somebody is asking here, Jesse, I believe, how do county taxes work? while you own the land? Who pays the county taxes? We write it into the contract and it's in the ACH draw for the client. So they pay us plus, this is cool, we get a $20 a month for every note we have. So let's say I have 200 notes, we're making four grand a month just off the servicing fees from that, right? So we charge a $20 a month fee to service the note and then we just you know cut it up by 12, whatever the annual taxes are. And then we just bill it to the client and then we pay the taxes, lump sums every year. David Olds, I just had him on my podcast. Great guy who does nationwide closings. And if you guys are interested in in um, this, he will close your land deals as well. Um, he's making this a big part of his strategy in 2022 and beyond, which is awesome. And uh, if you want more information about David's national nationwide title company, closing company, closelikejoe.com, closelikejoe.com. Cool. Any more questions for Clint, guys? Type them in the comments here. Hopefully, we'll see them before we wrap up. Clint, what are some uh, words of wisdom, that parting words that you might give to somebody who's interested in land? Yeah, land is houses? fun. 
land is fun. It's exciting. You hear about it for the first few times and it's, you know, it's like, oh my God, this is going to be my future. This is going to be my, and just like any business, it comes with a bunch of pain and the butts and deals go left, deals go right, deals take longer to sell. So patience is really important. I just see too many times that people will go, you know, those, A, my pet peeve is people don't do sample sizes, right? So if I say on average, it takes me 2000 letters to get a deal and they just send 2000 letters and don't get a deal and they say it didn't work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 2,000 letters to get a deal works over a course of 20,000 or 30,000 letters sent, right? So you need patience. You need to know that you can go through months of dry spells where deals don't come up, especially in a super hot market like this. So you don't want to force a deal. You don't want to buy it. This is the biggest mistake I see people do in this space is they buy a deal and they pay 60% of market value, which in your head you think is great. But actually in that area, nobody sells land for cash because it's just not in demand enough. So now you've spent 60% and you're only going to get 20% down. And so you have a big delta you have to make up. And people stuff cash in because a guru told them to do it. And you you got to really understand your markets, right? So, but really patience at the end of the day, like you got to set a budget. Like I tell my clients, you need to set aside $15,000 or $10,000, whatever makes sense for them for marketing. Don't worry about funding the deal. Everything will work out. You bring good deals to the table. But if you don't have a budget and a plan and you're just throwing money in the wind to hope it works, then at the end of the day, oftentimes you don't get the results you want. Nice. Excellent advice. If you want more information, learn.land or go to the Facebooks. And Clint has a real good website, Facebook group called Learn.land University. So if you just went to Facebook, did a search for Learn Land University, get more information about Clint there. Very cool. Clint, thank you so much. And we got another comment here. Let's see if it's any good. I mean, all your comments are good. (laughs) Ah, here's a good one. All right. If you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently from the experience and knowledge that you've acquired so far? I would move towards bigger deals quicker. Pretty simply put, they take the same amount of time. You make more money and you get those big cash hits that people normally aren't used to when you're getting started. When you see 30 grand, 40 grand, 50 grand hit your account, boy, that'll motivate you. Sometimes 300 bucks a month won't motivate you as much. So mm-hmm. moving into getting in communities, getting in places where people are doing bigger deals, not being scared of the numbers, I would definitely move. Because like half of those notes I told you about, I did in the first three years. They were all sub-15, sub-$20,000 notes. Don't get me wrong. like It's been transformative financially for me. But as you build and grow, you know you can do $1,200 notes instead of $200 notes for the same amount of work, right? So bigger deals. One more question that just came in from Brian real quick. Do you do surveys? Do you split the land or do you just use GPS coordinates? Maybe they're talking about, do you develop or split the land? Yeah, we probably have to do a whole nother one on that. But uh, yeah, we do. There's a lot of different subdividing strategies I love. It's the easiest way to force appreciation in a property is you get a piece of paper drawn up that turns it into 10 lots instead of one. And all of a sudden, not everybody can buy a $150,000 asset but everybody, most people can buy 30,000, right? So you break it down, make it more accessible. A simple piece of paper to the county can double or triple the value of the property. So we do a a lot of that. Good, good stuff. We could talk a lot more, but we got to go. Thank you, Clint, for being on the show. Appreciate you, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Joe.